Hey everybody, welcome to Thumbnail, a visual arts podcast. I'm Joe Roshert, illustrator, animator, and adjunct professor. And I'm Louis Rosignol, two-dimensional visual artist. And thanks for joining us today. We're going to be talking about a couple things, including taxes today. And then we also wanted to talk a little bit about just the podcast in general, because we've been doing it for a little while now. And we've hit some like roadblocks and we've had to like readjust things. And it's been a little bit of a trial and error process. Yeah, to say the least. (laughs) We kind of wanted to talk about that and talk about how we fix certain things. And I think maybe some of you will find it interesting, especially if if you've ever done any audio recording or if you plan to in the future, you can learn from our mistakes. (laughs) Yeah. So when I first called you to do the podcast, neither of us have any experience at all with recording audio, really, or... Or editing audio. It's audio in general, which we have no clue about. (laughs) And then podcasting, which the way I view it is podcasting is really just having a conversation with someone. So that didn't scare me as much as just the fact that we had to learn how to record audio. And honestly, it didn't scare me that much because it just seemed in my mind like, oh, all we got to do is just pick up a couple microphones, plug them in, and we're going to be good to go. Right. We quickly found out that that's just not the case. It's not that easy. Not that easy to still have quality sound, right? We thought it was going to be a lot easier. Well, the first thing that happened is I looked online, like kind of, you know, what's the best microphones for podcasting? And like, The Yeti microphone was the one that everyone was talking about. It's super easy. It's a USB mic. You can plug it directly into your computer. You don't need a mixer. So I thought, well, that'll be great. It's not that expensive. I don't need to get a bunch of equipment. So we got a Yeti, just one, and we figured we'll just put it in the middle of us and record with that one microphone. And we found out that it is super sensitive. So like it was picking up our headphone cord would touch, you know, like just touch the couch and it was made this big noise. I mean, it was ridiculous. Yeah. It's just changing our position in our chair, like rubbing our pant leg. It was, yeah. Yeah. It's picking up everything. You probably, if you're listening now, you're hearing some things here and there like that because every microphone is going to pick up other noises. But this microphone in particular seemed like it was just ultra sensitive. Yeah. And it's a condenser microphone. And I didn't even know the difference between like a condenser mic and a dynamic mic. Condensers are kind of known for picking up pretty much everything. Yeah. So every little tiny noise. I'm using the Yeti today. And so we've actually, I've learned a lot about how to, you know, make the settings better so it doesn't pick up as many little noises. But generally we use dynamic microphones. So we ended up switching to dynamic microphones because they're a lot better at just picking up the vocals and not all the outside noise. And it's made a big difference in the quality of sound, I think. I think so too. And we don't have to worry so much. So the second mistake we made had to do with just the fact that we were going to record it and we just decided we'll record it in the same room as each other. But the reason that's a challenge is because my microphone is picking up Joe and Joe's microphone is picking up me. And so when you don't know a lot about editing, it makes it a lot harder when each of our vocals isn't isolated. Right. So to clarify a little bit, we went from one microphone that we were both speaking into and then we're like, OK, we need better audio. We'll get two microphones but still be in the same room. So both the microphones are picking up everything. And where you live, there's a basement. And we figured, well, what's more quiet than a basement? Right, and then we could keep our setup there and untouched and we don't have to move equipment. Neither of us realized that basements aren't as quiet as we thought. Like there's <laughs> lots of pipes and anytime anyone flushed the toilet, it was like this water noises. Right. Is this an apartment building? So yeah. I can't control what my neighbors are doing. Yeah. And I didn't know I hear everything too. We basically recorded probably 10 podcasts 
and spent quite a few hours testing things. And we are really not using any of that audio because none of it came out good. So, so, so that was like three months almost of work we just threw away. And so the podcasts you're hearing now are after a lot of trial and error. And so we're still learning. So you're probably still going to hear like some background noise and things are just going to get better. Hopefully, as we go, we have someone that's helping us with editing and we're both recording our own audio on GarageBand so we don't have to worry about internet connections as much. Yeah, we should talk a little bit about that. Oh, yes. How we use Zencaster as a platform to do recording. I believe it's a free service, right? Yeah, I think they may have a paid version too, but you can do a free version. And it was working all right at first, but it's just been dropping things lately and it would be running health checks on our internet connections and it would come up as risky and so it it just wasn't working Mm -hmm. so what we're still trying to figure it out is because right now what we're doing is we're on a facetime call and we're recording our own vocals with GarageBand, which works great for the two of us but if we ever want to have a guest which we do we want to be able to have other artists on and talk to them we're going to need to find a better way i was hoping zencaster would be the because everyone says that's the best option. Yeah. We still haven't figured out why it's not working for us. It has a lot of good reviews. Maybe it's a paid version versus free version thing. Yeah. So if you're out there listening to this podcast and you happen to know a lot about recording podcasts or audio and you have a suggestion for why Zencaster isn't working for us or a better platform, we'd definitely love to hear from you. Thumbnailpodcast at gmail.com. So if you have any advice on what we can do to be able to use a different platform so that we can have guests on. I mean, we could obviously do like a three-way Google Hangouts and then have the guest have, but then the guest has to record their own vocals on GarageBand. And that just seems like a lot to ask of people. You don't want to have to invite someone on and then they have to worry about doing all this extra stuff. It's better if we can record their vocals and all they have to do is just show up and talk. And so a little bit more about the setup now. So we switched to dynamic mics and they're kind of like the typical microphone that you'd picture any artist on stage with any musician and then that's connected into what what is that called a mixer box yeah basically just like a mixer a pretty basic mixer box and we recently found out that it's not the best idea to just get any old mixer box (laughs) to double the setup we bought an additional one pretty cheap one on amazon 30 bucks but that ended up being a problem yep because that box was the cause of really loud static that was happening in the background of my vocals I wasn't understanding where it was coming from until I realized it was the box itself. And so getting cheap equipment isn't always a great option for this kind of a thing to have a quality audio. No, exactly. So we thought we'd cut some corners and get because we had already spent a decent amount of money. And it's just like it gets to the point where you don't want to keep spending money on equipment when you don't know enough about the equipment and you feel like you're wasting money and time and resources. So we're at the point now where we're getting there and I feel like pretty good about what we're doing. Our goal is to have like some type of a video version of this podcast Mm -hmm. where we can have like a split screen. You can see both of us and we can release it on like YouTube, but we're still mastering the audio. So that might take a little while, but that's our long-term goal. And so if anybody has any help or ideas for us that could help move that along, we definitely want to hear from you. Anyway, so we just wanted to tell you a little bit about, did you have anything else you wanted to add about the things we've been dealing with with the podcast? No, I think it kind of goes back to, I think it it relates a lot to our art process, how we've had to do a lot of trial and error to get to where we are. Right. And that applies to other things. And so we weren't scared to 
throw away three months of work, even though we put a lot of effort and stuff into it because we wanted a, a better product. All that trial and error was kind of like our thumbnailing stage to figure out how to make this work better. And the fact of the matter is we probably weren't even podcasting that great at the beginning because we were so new at it and we were a little bit nervous about talking on microphones. And so it probably was better that the audio didn't come out good and we couldn't use them. Yeah. Because now our first podcast we put out or actually our 15th podcast we had recorded or something. So it probably was better quality as far as, you know, just how comfortable we were talking on the microphones. And it took some getting used to, to this format that we're doing now talking over the computer. I'm not really used to talking to someone digitally or and remotely. I don't do it very often. That took some time to get used to, so I'm kind of glad that those episodes were trash. That's a good point, too. It takes some time to get used to talking to someone via, like, Skype or FaceTime. It's not as natural as being face-to-face, right? Right. And especially if you don't do it a lot. So, yeah, that's kind of what we wanted to just start with. But I kind of feel like the real topic of this podcast is taxes. Yeah, it's the season. Sure is. And Joe asked, you know, what I thought for the podcast this week. And I happened to be doing my taxes, so it was fresh on my mind. Yeah, Artists have unique challenges with taxes because we run our own businesses. But it's kind of like a different small business than others. We have different types of expenses. And so I wanted to talk about that and like what type of things you can use as deductions and how you keep track of things and because it can get pretty complex and I know I hire an accountant, but I still have to keep track of things and know what to save. And and so why don't you start by talking about because you've been doing this longer. So when you first got out of school, what were you doing like the first year or two when you started? You're not making as much money, obviously, because you're new. How did you manage your taxes at that point? At that point, all I thought I needed to do was save receipts and then deal with it later. So for a couple of years, I was doing that. And it wasn't until I met my accountant and uh, through a networking circle that I realized that I was doing everything wrong. Yeah. So what I was doing wrong was commingling accounts. Since I'm an artist, I viewed myself as myself and just one entity. And so I thought that all my money meant that it was all my money and that I could just spend it how I needed to. Yeah. But as an artist, you have to remember that you are a business. So you have to separate that. You have to have a split personality as far as your finances go. And so I had to open up a doing business as account in addition to my personal bank account. And so that way, any money coming in and going out went through my business account strictly. I did the same exact thing. And I think that's a pretty common mistake people make. Yeah. They want to start maybe trying to make some money with art, but maybe they don't think they're going to make that much money at the beginning. And usually you don't. And so you figure like, well, I don't need a whole new account. I'll just save receipts here and there if I buy art supplies. And when I sell a piece of art, I'll document that. But it's better off right from the very beginning. If you even think you're going to make $500 and that's it for the whole year, just set up a new account. That'll save you so much heartache and so much time. And another thing too is it doesn't have to be a business account. So like I go to TD Bank, they offer business checking accounts. I just opened up another personal account and then ran all my business through that, which is fine. As long as it's a separate account, you're going to be okay. Eventually, you might want to open up a business account because you get maybe certain perks, but sometimes business accounts can be more expensive to open and you need to have a certain amount of money in there at all time. And so if you're not going to be making a lot of money, that might not be the smartest. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a business account as much as it has to be just a separate account that you're only using for business. And remembering to use it. So you have that separate card that you use for all your materials. 
all your advertising, your website purchases, or like your website domain and all those costs. Yeah. It's so important to separate from the beginning. And as you get deeper in, you may end up separating it even more. So at this point, I have multiple credit cards that I use for my business. One, I just use to buy mark things that I'm going to be using for marketing. One, I just use to buy supplies. And so that makes it even easier for me at the end of the year because now all of my marketing is on one card and all the statements, you know what I mean? So it's a little bit more organized. This year that we're in, I'm going to even do separating it even more because it still was a little bit overlap. That's obviously down the line. That sounds like a great way on how to do it manually. I quickly learned and quickly prefer not to do it manually and and use software that already exists. So I use QuickBooks. I think it's about 20, maybe a little more, 20, 25 bucks a month. That helps me organize everything. So I can connect that directly to my bank account. There's no reason to connect your personal account to it, only your business. Exactly. And so then there is where you could separate what things were really easily. And I assign categories too. So like you could assign certain line items as marketing budget or supplies and materials or travel expenses. It just organizes everything really nice and easy. You could make your invoices through that too. So that's how I invoice all my clients. It's all in one piece of online software that you can access anywhere. You have, right. It has an app too. So it's very, very easy. The app also has mileage tracking. You could track all your business miles. When you're driving to a convention or driving to meet a client, you can track all these mileage and use that as a deduction too. It's like 55 or 57 cents or something like that per mile that you can deduct. So we kind of do things a little bit different in that you're doing things in QuickBooks. It's kind of organizing things for you. I do it manually, but I probably should switch to what you're doing. At the beginning, you just want to make sure things are separate. Like this year, I have to do things itemized. Last year, I didn't. I could use like a standard deduction for my business because they give you like a certain amount. If your deductions aren't more than this certain amount, you can just do a standard one. What's great about that is if you get audited, you're fine because... You don't have to show any proof that you had that amount of deductions. It's just a standard that they give everyone. Did you do itemize or is that how you do it? I'm not completely sure, actually, because so I met my accountant and my accountant does all my taxes. I make sure my books are in order with QuickBooks. Yeah, so they handle that. I have no idea actually what I do. So like last year, for instance, I had uh, $10,000 worth of shipping costs and another $5,000 in supplies or something. It turned out to be just about the same amount that the standard deduction was. So say it was $20,000 in expenses Mm -hmm. and the standard deduction is $20,000. So they're like, well, you may as well just use the standard one because then you don't have to prove that you have all these receipts for all the stuff you're saying. Mm -hmm. But if your deductions come out to more than that, you really want to itemize so that you can... Because you want to get as many deductions as you possibly can, obviously, because if you sell $100,000 worth of art and you have $50,000 worth of expenses, you don't want to do the standard deduction because you're only going to get $20,000 taken off of that $100,000 and then you have to pay taxes on $80,000. Right. So let's dig into deductions again or to clarify what deductions are. Right. It doesn't mean free money. It doesn't mean like buy all my art supplies and now they're essentially free because they're deducted. No, it's they're just deducted from my gross income. So the gross income right. is everything you're making. 
but let's say I made $100,000 in one year. And yep. going back to what you were saying just a little bit ago. But all my costs of materials and studio expenses and all that added up to, let's say, $20,000 in the course of a year. That means I'm not going to be taxed on 100000 I'm going to be taxed on 80000 Yes. Just to be clear, so you're still paying for this stuff, but you're just able to deduct from your gross income and you're taxed on your what's called your net income. What you're saying basically is, so you sold $100,000 worth of art or product, and you have to figure out how much money did you have to spend in order to do that. Like, And so it's not just the art supplies, or like you have to take into account how much money did you spend on advertising so people could know about your art? How much money did you spend on your studio space and your internet? I'm trying to think of other examples. Your computer, your tablet, you're shipping. If you're shipping to people, you know, you don't have to pay taxes on that. That is deducted out of the total. Your travel expenses, like your ticket to get to a convention or tabling somewhere, your mileage. And it adds up quick. So this last year, I spent over $30,000 just in shipping. Wow. You figure if I didn't save all those shipping receipts, I'd be paying taxes on $30,000 that I didn't even really earn. You really have to be careful and you have to know what's deductible. And with like a home, we both have our studios at home, right? Yeah. And so you have to kind of figure out what percentage of your house is your studio. Based on your square footage. So if you have a studio space that's 100 square feet and your home is 1,000 square feet, then that means one-tenth of your home is your studio. And so one-tenth of your mortgage is tax deductible, one-tenth of your heat bill, one-tenth of right. all your house. Every yeah. every bill, even if you had to replace your roof, 10% of that yeah. is deductible because it's your business. Yeah. So it's so important to keep track of this stuff because you, yeah. you want to be taxed on as little as possible. Really. And so all these things that we're talking about, like the art supplies and shipping and shipping supplies, most of them are 100% tax deductible. But there are things that aren't 100%. So well, for instance, like the studio space, it's a percentage of your house. But also like if you take a client out to eat, and you discuss business, it's only 50% of the bill is not anymore. Oh, it's not. It used to be only 50. Now it's a lot more complicated to the point where I don't even track food. I don't track entertainment and food anymore if you're traveling for work so if you have to fly like for instance i had to fly to los angeles because i had an exhibit there and i had to help set up and ship work there and the plane tickets deductible the hotels deductible and all the food while you're there is deductible because you can't eat at home right you're on the road and it's a business trip i didn't have fun well i mean i had fun while i was there because it's just fun to travel but I didn't go there for pleasure. It was strictly business. So that can all count. But yeah, if you're eating around your house, if you're taking a client out in the city you live in, you have to check with your accountant because that is not 100% deductible. There is deductions. You just have to know the law with that. There are certain extra things you need to do to prove that it was business now. Do you know what they are? They made it really corporate and really confusing and different percentages for things and like having to document pretty aggressively what was said and like what you talked about during this meeting and was it for it got overly complicated for the the small business just kind of sucks you basically have to videotape the dinner (laughs) right 
because most things like a receipt will do. Obviously, if you're buying art supplies, like a receipt will do. But a dinner, it gets a little bit in the area where like, well, yeah, it's just a receipt for a restaurant. Like that could have been pleasure. How do they know it's business? Right. And so, yeah, with things like that, there's more strict laws. And so you got to know that for sure. Another good one people don't really realize is deductions for donations for art. It gets really weird and gray area. And from what I understand, if you were to deduct, let's say, a bronze sculpture, like a big bronze sculpture to, let's say, a university or something or a nonprofit, you can't just assign a value to what you would normally sell that sculpture for. So let's say I would normally sell that sculpture for... I don't know, let's say a quarter million dollars, right? Right. I would actually only be able to deduct the cost of the material. So maybe it's like 10 grand or something in bronze, in raw material. That's all I would actually be able to deduct. I missed the beginning. So you're talking about if you donate it? Yeah. If you yeah. if you were to donate a sculpture or like a piece or something like that, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's only based off of the actual raw material, not of the potential value. Which is kind of crazy because it really should be based on the value, at least based on your other work and what that sells for. There's a way you can figure out, you know, I usually sell my artwork for this much per square inch or however you figure it out. It might be different if you could prove it somehow like on a, in a, at an auction or something maybe so it has yeah. a proven value but i think it prevents fraud and like where i could just make a stick figure on a post-it donate it to some nonprofit, say that post-it is worth one million dollars when you've never sold anything even close to that obviously like you're you're just arbitrarily assigning value that makes sense for sure so that's what it prevents so i'll tell you a little bit about some things that can get tricky and this is particularly for artists. One of the things that you have to deduct from the amount of money you make is the cost of goods sold. If you're a t-shirt company and you're selling t-shirts, then how much money did the t-shirts cost you to produce, right? Yeah. That can be a pretty easy number to figure out because you're hiring a textile company to produce the t-shirts. They charge you however much they're charging you. You get the t-shirts, you sell them, you know how much you paid for them. With art, Figuring out the cost of goods sold, they're a little bit more flexible because I buy a couple tubes of paint and I buy a pad of paper and now I'm painting using this pad of paper, like trying to figure out the cost of each painting. It can be pretty tricky because like how much paint did you use from that? You know what I mean? Like, and at the end of the year, you still got some of the paint left over. So you basically are keeping track of how much art supplies you're buying and then how much sales and you're just deducting that knowing you're going to be buying art supplies the next year. And so your cost of goods sold actually probably aren't as exact as a regular small business because there's really no way to figure it out. And so they're a little bit more lenient with that because usually they will make you prove inventory, right? There's things you can't count with art. You can't count how much paint you have left in a to right. or how much paper you've wasted and thrown in the you know it's just like there's things that are nearly impossible so you have to talk to your accountant about certain things like that because you have to know what you can count how you can count it if it's something that you can take inventory on then they actually want you to because it shows that you're at least trying to run your business the way a regular small business would it really depends like i'm getting into that more because i'm selling prints and multiple of the same thing. So a lot of artists too will just sell originals. Or if you're just selling originals, it's not such a big deal. But if you're selling prints, you have to figure out how much it's cost you per print. 
how many of them you sold, and then that's your number of cost of goods sold for your print. And so you have to figure that number out. What does a print cost me? And you can't just use all the ink you bought that year. You have to, like, for instance, I just bought a bunch of books that I'm going to be selling over the next couple of years, and it cost me $10,000 to buy all these books. I can't use all $10,000 of that as a deduction this year because I didn't sell all, all of the books yet. I can only use a deduction based on the percentage of books that I've sold so far. Really? Yeah, because the cost of goods sold, I didn't sell them all yet. Hmm. If I sell half of them this year, then I can write off half of that cost. And then next year when I sell the other half, I can write off the other half. Eventually, if you never sell them, you can just write the rest off because they're just going to be sitting in a warehouse and that's not fair to you as a business. That's a loss. But you have to give yourself some time to sell them. Yeah. I didn't know that. I thought I bought all the books. So that's a a deduction, the whole amount. But my accountant was like, no, you can't do it that way. You have to know the inventory of the books, how many you sold, and what the ones you sold cost. And so it becomes a lot more of a headache to try to count them and figure that out. I didn't know that either. When you get into like books and things like that, that you can count and you're selling them, self-publishing, you can make more money, but it's a lot more of a headache. Well, it makes sense because you could end up investing 10 grand yourself, right, into the books. Right. And just just be sitting on a potential loss. If it is a loss in the end, you're going to get a tax break for that. But, you know, you have to wait and see kind of. Yeah. Taxes are very complicated. That's why this is a good episode, because I know I was so lost when I first started and I'm still a little bit learning. That's one thing I've just learned. I didn't know the cost of good thing for I think that's particularly important for big orders. If you had a lot of one thing created to sell, I've never done that yet. So maybe that's part of the reason why I haven't run into that problem or really run into the cost of goods issue. Yeah, that's with anything. So if you were to order like a thousand prints of one of your designs that sells well Mm -hmm. and it costs you a lot of money, it would be nice if you could just use that as a deduction that year. But you can only use a deduction how many of them you sell that year. Hmm. It's kind of awful because it's like you spent all that money and you're not seeing it. It's not part of your income, but you still have to pay taxes on it. That's why you have to really think about, "Mm, do I want to spend all that money up front right now? Because I'm going to have to pay taxes on a lot of it if I don't sell them this year. You have to think about that. I guess that's where you have to play the leniency too. So maybe you don't buy a lot up front or don't make orders for things that don't already have sales like pre-sale things i think that would make things a lot easier and then i could still buy a stack of a thousand pieces of paper and not necessarily have to sell all thousand pieces of paper because what half of them could be garbage or recycled right just because they're mess ups Right. So that's where the leniency in gray area comes in, I think, as an artist. Yeah, and that's like, why it- that's kind of brought into like, yeah, it's a cost of materials and potentially loss, like a, a business loss. So it's just kind of all evens out at the end. But at least you're still trying to pay taxes on your on your work. It's a lot to know, but it's worth knowing because if you get audited and you didn't know, you can't just say like, oh, well, I didn't know. That's not a good enough answer for them. I'll do better next time. (laughs) You're going to get fined. You might even do, I mean, people do prison time for getting audited and having tax, they call it tax fraud. Yeah. Even if you didn't know it, it's just not a good enough answer. Artists already kind of, and self-employed individuals also already kind of have a target on their back and a flag in their file. Yep. Because it's it's been known to be uh, a way for people to do fraudulent things with their taxes and there's like loopholes and stuff that people take advantage of or try to take advantage of so we already have this target on our backs the more work you put into documenting and being honest about your taxes the better you'll be having an accountant is another line of defense 
that brings down that flag a little further so that's not you're not as much of a threat because someone is reviewing what you do and like double checking what you did so it's two humans or more if you have an accountant they're at least going to be liable so if you said hey my accountant said i could do that and they really did say that then now it isn't on you it's on the account but if you do your own taxes now everything's on you so if you get audited and there's a problem you can't say well i just didn't know what i was doing they don't care and so with an accountant if there was a problem and you both missed it you know it then ends up being you were doing everything to your best knowledge yeah so that's where you're protected it's like no you didn't go to school to be an accountant and the IRS understands that. They're just people behind yep. us too. So they understand that you don't necessarily know the code in and out. And so as long as you're trying to do things to your best of your ability, then they are flexible and will work with you and help you through mistakes. Yeah. And most of the time, if they find some errors, you, you just have to pay taxes and bit like back taxes on the mistakes. And that's the biggest thing. I don't know if you're familiar with the show Survivor, but the guy that won the first season ended up doing like 52 months in jail or something because he didn't pay taxes on the money he won. And he just claimed, so the TV show was on CBS. And he said, I thought CBS paid the taxes on it for me. He thought the money was coming to him already taxed. And so they give him a check for a million and he didn't pay. Like an employee, right? Like an employee tax. Right. Even if he did think that, he did prison time. So you can't just assume things. You have to know. And so he learned his lesson the really hard way. I don't know how he really thought that. That's insane. And being a someone who is usually making like $50,000 a year, and now all of a sudden he had a year where he made a million dollars because he won a TV show, like that's going to be a big flag put up already. And the fact that he paid no taxes on it, he easily got caught by the IRS because it was so stupid. Right. So <laughs> like Joe was saying, like artists, self-employed people, so many people are trying to use loopholes or deductions that aren't real that you already kind of have a little bit of a flag raised on yourself. So you have to be a little bit extra cautious and make sure you're only taking deductions that are legit. And another great reason to be taking great documentation of your expenses is that there's also a self-employment tax. And it's like 11, 12% or something like that. In addition to your tax bracket, ends up being, you know, roughly a third of everything you make. That's really important to keep in mind when you're getting work in and getting paid for the work that you do. Make sure that you put aside a third of those earnings and expect that to be your taxes. Right. And so what brings down that percentage are these deductions. Or it doesn't bring down the percentage. It brings just, uh, just brings down your tax liability. But that's what right. makes it so important because you are being taxed more. So take advantage of the deductions to its fullest extent because you are paying for that. Were there any things that surprised you that you were able to take as deductions that you didn't know about? Travel was a big one for me. I did a yeah. lot of travel to clients, even this in my car. You know, so a lot of driving to places, driving out of state to have meetings about potential work or work that's ongoing and mm -hmm. client relations stuff. Adding up those miles, let's say it's 8,000 miles in a year, times that by 55 cents, 57 cents or something to the mile. That's a huge deduction that I can now put against my gross income. Yeah. That helped a lot. That was a surprise for me. That's interesting. I have had, I had like some professors at, at Mecca that told me some things that I don't even know if they're true or not. And they might be true, but I feel like 
you're playing with fire. If you go to see a movie and you use it as inspiration to do a piece, you can use the movie tickets. And I'm thinking, how do you, if you can have a trouble proving a dinner that was business related, how can you prove that a movie you saw inspired you? You know what I mean? To well, so For a certain piece. I do go to movies as research a lot of times and I'll deduct that kind of stuff depending on the movie I saw. Like, like I don't necessarily love watching Disney movies, but I have to go see them as research and to see what kind of things can be done and what's being done in story. And like I'm there with a notebook, taking notes of different animators or whatever in the end credits of people I could contact. It is research, and so that's important. Well, so now if you have to document you saying the laws are changing for like taking clients out for dinner, you have to document things more clear so that you can mm-hmm. prove it's business. Is that the same case with like a movie? Like how can you document that it was research versus pleasure? Yes, that's the hard part. You know, it does fall under that same category, I think, of meals and entertainment. I think it's a gray zone where you, you just have to have documented notes and hope hope for the best you know so i'll do research sometimes at a bookstore right and i find a book that i need that's a drawing book or yeah it could be a graphic novel that i'm using for reference how to make graphic novels or picture books that i'm purchasing so that i could have a library of reference that i can easily access whenever Mm -hmm. i need to those are business expenses yeah absolutely I think with like a receipt for like an art book, that's obviously a lot easier to prove that something that you need as an artist to look at Mm -hmm. because it's directly related to your field. But some artists will like buy novels and write them as deductions because they're saying they're using them as inspiration. So I think that when you're talking about something like that, you're playing with something that might be a little bit harder to prove. And so just use caution with that type of stuff and talk to your accountant because they'll tell you like, Well, if you get audited, that might be harder to prove. So you just have to be realistic, but also talk to your accountant specifically, because there is definitely people out there, the novels are inspiring their work, and they're directly related to the work they're doing. And then there's probably other people that are trying to take advantage and say, look, every little thing they do is inspiring their work. I went on vacation and I got some ideas from vacation inspired, you know, like. Right. Can't go shopping and be like, oh, that jacket is really inspiring. Yeah, I got to buy it. I got to buy that. It has to be related and you have to be able to talk that through. I have a motorcycle. I can't just be like, oh, I should just draw one picture of my motorcycle and then I can count the whole motorcycle as a deduction. Right. It inspired me to do this one drawing. That's not how it works. Unfortunately, that'd be really nice because everything I bought, I would just draw a picture of (laughs) and then just keep like a notebook of the stupid little sketches I do of all the things I buy. I only bought it for that reference. (laughs) Yeah, I don't even use it. (laughs) That's pretty funny. Yeah, so you gotta, I don't know, like taxes are just such a, it's not a fun topic to talk about, but it's important. And as you get into the business of art, you start realizing there's things that you maybe didn't think that you could use as a deduction. Like, for instance, we're doing a podcast now. So these microphones that I bought this year, they're a deduction. Yeah, They're part of the business, right? Like this is podcast is art related. It's definitely business related. Yeah, I don't know exactly how I'm going to categorize them, if it's going to be like an office expense or a marketing expense, because the podcast, it brings more attention to us in, in a way. You know what I mean? So yeah, I think it ends up being a supply of material type of a thing. Yeah. And then like a marketing expense would be like, I'm paying for the web hosting of the podcast, right? So that would be a marketing advertising budget in my eyes. Yeah. Maybe under software and computer kind of stuff. But 
it all gets deducted the similar way anyways. It's more for your records. Because marketing stuff and supply stuff are both 100% deductible. Yeah. So where you put it isn't such a big deal. If you put something in a category that's not 100% deductible, like if you put dinner in the category of marketing for some reason, right. dinners aren't 100% deductible and marketing is, then you're doing stuff that's probably wrong. So you have to just know the laws and there's more laws than you'd even expect. So it's a challenge. I do recommend because I spend a lot of money on my business. Anybody who runs a small business ends up spending a lot more money than you expect. Don't just get an account and use like a debit card. I use a credit card and then just pay it off at the end of every month. Because if you're going to be spending a lot of money, you may as well build up points on your credit card and get cash back and stuff. There's no reason. Yeah, 1% cash back even. Yeah, get something back. I end up getting like... I don't know, probably like a $100 Target gift card every month or something because of my business expenses that I'm going through my... So like, yeah, it's 100 bucks, whatever, but it's $100 that I didn't have before. So why not build, use the credit card and get the points, right? Free money at that point, yeah. especially when you're going to be spending that money anyways. Another documentation thing that I recommend, so not only separating your bank account, not only having a QuickBooks to help organize all your expenses... But I've been recommended to also print out all of my monthly bank statements for my business and to staple all my receipts for that month to it. So I also have a physical archive in addition to the digital archive, just in case. The rule of thumb is to keep at least seven years of files. I think I've saved more than that just because. And imagine getting audited seven years out. If you don't have good records, that's a nightmare. And you can. You can be audited for something that happened that long ago. Oftentimes when people are audited, they want to see more than just one year. They want to see like the last few or something. The accountant I had last year, I asked them about auditing and they said that the majority of people that get audited and then end up having to pay back taxes are not people that were trying to screw over the government. It's people that just didn't keep good enough records. And so when they did their taxes, they were playing guessing games in some cases and they didn't really have the receipts that they should have or they didn't save them for long enough. You just want to be really careful with that stuff. Mm -hmm. You don't even have to have the physical receipt anymore. You can just have photographs, digital files of the photographs of all the receipts. Right. Which is pretty crazy because I feel like that's something that people could Photoshop. You know what I mean? And also crazy when you maybe bought pens at a CVS and you get a mile long receipt. <laughs> like what? Yeah. What are you supposed to do with that? Can't really take a picture of that. Ugh. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to like a Walmart or, or, you know, whatever store and I bought a couple things for the business and then like a bunch of other stuff just for personal. And it's such a pain having to get up to the front of the store and then separate it and pay separately for the business stuff. Yeah. But it's worth it in the end because you'll regret it if you don't. And you have all these receipts with mixed things, like half of it's for your business and half of it's not. And you've got to try to figure out what part of it was most receipt. Yeah. And that's what sucked for me in the first couple of years when I co-mingled my accounts into one. I had to go back and go item by item for every little thing that I bought and try to categorize whether or not that was business or not. And so there are so many things that I know I must have missed and like thousands and thousands of dollars that I paid taxes on that I probably didn't have to. And since sometimes if you're looking at receipts like that, trying to find item by item, the receipts don't even have the full name of the things. Sometimes they just have like abbreviations mm-hmm. and it can be hard trying to figure out what's what on those receipts. Yeah. Or it sometimes just where you bought it. And it's an abbreviation of where you bought it. It gets crazy confusing. And then sometimes, right, you buy business stuff and personal stuff on the same receipt. 
then what do you do? It's a pain, but when you get in the habit of doing it day to day, it's just so much easier. You just want to do it from the beginning. If you're even going to start doing it just part-time this year, just get a separate account and do it right from the beginning because it's going to save you a lot of headaches in the long run. And you'll already know what you're doing a couple years from now and you're actually doing it for your job and it's a full-time gig now and you've been doing it right all along. You don't have to worry. And ask questions. Always ask questions. Ask your accountant. These are things that we've run into and what we know to our best knowledge. We're not accountants, but these were helpful things that we've been told. That's a good idea. Everyone's a little different as far as how their business runs. So Everyone has different types of expenses. And I bet Joe and I don't have the exact same types of expenses. And, and we do very similar work. Like my biggest expense was shipping this year. That probably wasn't your biggest expense. You probably had a different expense that was your big, you know, so it's just, mm-hmm. it just depends on what type of work you're doing. And, you know, if you're doing digital work versus traditional, you're probably going to have different types of expenses, even though you're an artist. So you just have to know that. And then there's some things that are depreciative. So I think that's the right word. If you buy like a giant $25,000 piece of equipment that you're going to be using over the next five years, you have to spread the deduction out over the five-year period. So there's some things that are like that. It has to be over a certain amount. You don't have to do it with like a computer that only costs $1,000. You can take that whole deduction in one year. But if it's a big piece of equipment, then you have to spread it out. Unless it's a piece of equipment that only lasts a year. There's weird things with expensive equipment that you have to know. But thankfully, most artists don't have to deal with that. Unless you're like maybe like a ceramics artist that has to buy a giant wheel or I don't know. Is that sometimes because of gross income? Let's say I only made $20,000 in a year. I can't have $50,000 of deductions and expect money back. If you actually legitimately spent $50,000, for instance, let's say you spent $20,000 worth of ceramics and it actually did cost you $50,000 to make the ceramics you sold, that is a loss and you can count that as a $30,000 loss. I mean, you're terrible at running your business and you're way underselling your goods and you're going to get in trouble if you do that year after year. They're going to tell you you should be raising your prices, but you can count a business loss. I don't think you get a refund. Right. I don't think that they'll give you a refund for that because they're just assuming you're not good at running your business or something. So why should they pay you for that? I don't I don't know. On that same line of thought, too, for artists, if you're not profitable, if you don't declare a profit for five years straight, you're then immediately defined as a hobbyist and you can't take those deductions anymore. Right. That's true. If you want to be a business, you have to be profitable and and yeah, some years you might have bad years, but don't have five years straight. I don't even know this. Does it have to be a threshold of profit? Like for instance, if you only make $500, that's still profit. So that counts. Yeah, I think even a dollar counts. Oh, okay. You should be able to pull that off. Yeah. If you're worried about becoming a hobbyist, you know, just ask one of your friends to buy something for $5, you know, to put you in the <laughs> green zone or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> But make sure you put you make sure you uh, declare that <laughs> when you're an artist, like I feel like, well, probably any small business owner, but it's like I'm always worried that next week I'm going to stop selling things. And I'm just going to have to go get a, a real job. Like, I know this is a real job, but there's always something in the back of your head that says like, well, this could all end tomorrow. And then um, I got to go get a job. Yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. That's so always, always lingering working for yourself. That's the one thing people always say, oh, you're so lucky you get to work from home and work in your pajamas all day. And that is a plus to it. But the negative is that you have to make money. And so you're responsible for figuring out how you're going to make money. And that's a that's a headache. And when you work for someone else, they're the ones that are responsible for bringing in the income and you're just getting a paycheck. Whether they're making money or not, you're going to get a paycheck. But you could just as easily get 
fired. We oh, can't we too. can't fire ourselves. So no, you, you got to weigh the benefits. It's true, and you know the thing is, like nobody really works for themselves. You know, when you're an artist, you're still working for other people. The people that are buying your stuff are your boss in a way, right? Especially as an illustrator, you're doing commission work. You just have a new boss every week, you know, or whatever. Right. You never really work for yourself. You do have a little bit more control when you're self-employed, thankfully, and that's one of the reasons I like to be self-employed because I like to have that control. Yeah. I do too. Uh, do you have anything else you wanted to add with taxes? I think that hits most of my lists. But um, if there's anything we missed, anything you want to talk more deeply about, maybe gave information that was wrong, let us know at thumbnailpodcast at gmail.com. Shoot us messages on Instagram. At Forthouse is my Instagram or at Lewis Rosignol. And as a disclaimer, like always ask your accountant. Don't think you heard something here that's absolutely 100%. And it's always a good idea to ask your accountant. Neither Joe or I are tax experts. Yeah. We're just people that have done taxes for this business. And so we know a decent amount, but it's always a good idea to double check or you just take deductions right. and assume. But the best thing you can do is to keep accurate records yeah start today yes and i should start better no I'm just, i do pretty well but you know you could always you could always do better yeah my I, organizational I skills yeah <laughs> no you you sound like you do better than i do because you have quickbooks and i'm doing things manually when i feel like when you do things manually there's more room for error yeah so i need to be more organized i do take it seriously and i keep receipts but my organizational skills are not as good as they could be because I put things off. And so I should be categorizing my receipts as I get them rather than waiting till the end of the year. And then having like, I spent basically all day yesterday doing taxes, except for like the half hour that we went out to eat. It was miserable, (laughs) (laughs) but it could have been a lot easier if I had done what you did all year. Right. So don't be like me. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, thanks for joining us guys this week. Yeah. And uh, take care. Bye.